0: And welcome to another episode of Novel Not New, a true podcast. It's a show where we cover, oh, at the beginning it was visual novels, but now we've expanded to anything that has a significant um, plot component to it. I'm Jennifer Uncle um, from Scanline Media, and joining me, as always, uh, Six Detmar.
1: Uh, hello, hello.
0: And uh, Al- Olivia Joseph
2: hi i'm olivia joseph when you introduced yourself as like Jen uncle from scanline i was just like uh and olivia joseph from new york
0: (laughs) yeah i i probably shouldn't have put the from scanline media part at at the end but uh old habits die hard
2: no it's good remind them just keep it keep isn't there a term for like keeping keeping the brand in people's minds isn't that the whole point of advertising now
1: Uh, I think it's called advertising.
2: I think specifically there has been like a shift in the way advertising is thought of where it used to be about like there are certain brands that have a level of dominance such that they don't need to like they don't intend to sell you their product now. The advertising just exists to remind you that the brand is there
1: like the mm, like coke for instance they're not trying to be like hey you will like coke you already like coke they just want to remind you that it's an option
2: mm-hmm. like i rem- speaking of new york there was a uh, there was a billboard in times square a few years ago that was just like the snapchat ghost on a completely yellow background which is like literally useless if you don't know what snapchat is only it can only be designed for people who already recognize the snapchat logo
1: Hmm. You know, I probably wouldn't have recognized it when it was that big.
2: I uh, I have a cursed brain when <laughs> I remember brands.
0: Same.
1: I could repeat a uh, a jingle for a public radio's fundraiser from New York when I was five. I was in New York City once when I was five, and it played on the radio, and I just know that jingle forever now.
0: Uh you're, you're like 1-80-323-9262. one
1: 323
0: You're like one of those immortal characters in a piece of fiction who they, they slowly they slowly lose themselves to collected memories, except you're just collecting them at a much faster pace than anyone else's. <laughs>
1: I'm just thinking about the ingredients of the bell-beefer. <laughs> Border sauce. Diced tomatoes.
0: So, um, has anyone been playing visual novels outside of the games we're going to be discussing?
2: Uh,
1: yes. Oh. Uh, do Do we want to have the the Umi Neko check-in first?
2: We could.
0: Yeah, that that, that sounds good.
1: Uh, I still haven't found time for it, so I'll sit this one out.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I'm a little down on it. That's that's really all I got to say. I was not uh, super thrilled by the end of chapter two, and so I'm going into chapter three, and I'm a little like, eh, eh, I'll probably drag myself across there, but also I've read like 2,500 pages of like true novel fantasy stuff lately so that's really where my enthusiasm is more
0: yeah um starting back up with the ubaneko book club uh actually got me to start reading more books again <laughs> like uh i ended up getting a few for my birthday and i've also just been i've been like okay it looks like my kindle from five years ago still keeps a charge to it somehow so I've been reading chapters and chapters and chapters just to keep my eyes on anything other than the number of screens that are surrounding me in my apartment.
2: Oh hell yeah! Well, welcome to the welcome to the general book club. <laughs> I'm about to hit my Goodreads challenge for this year. In August, I'm very proud of that. What you set your Can challenge I- to? Uh, Fifty books. Oh wow. And I've basically I, well look, we all got quarantined for a few months there <laughs> to be fair uh, but it's a lot more than I read in previous years, and I'm glad that I did it, and I feel like I've basically already did it because two of those books were over a thousand pages long jeez yeah.
1: gotcha game story events count for goodreads
2: uh <laughs> no, but manga does
1: hmm I'm just saying isomer. And Girls' Frontline was uh, a lot of reading.
2: Yeah, that that was my impression. That's the one where you where like the player character is getting tortured, right?
1: Uh, no, that was the previous one. Oh no, that was uh, Singularity. I think was the no. name
2: of that one. Singularity was the one. Singularity was the one. Well, I identify it primarily with a spoiler. So Singularity was a thing. And then the one after that was Continuum Turbulence, and that's the one where you're, like, recounting the story of the event while right, you're being you're interrogated. Right. It, was,
1: it was Continuum Turbulence, yeah. Isomer is the one where you're uh, protecting a, basically, like, the the future uh, head of the European Union. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> um, and, yeah, some story stuff happens. I don't know. Girls' Frontline story is fucking wild. Yeah, I can't get into it here. That would be a whole. That would be a whole rabbit hole.
2: We should do Girls' Frontline for a novel not new. I mean,
1: if we did that, I just have to give Jen access to my account somehow, so Jen could just read like the story logs.
0: Yeah, I imagine that it would take several months to get through a gacha game to the degree that you have.
1: Oh, you've no idea
2: <laughs> I actually uh. I actually did have a plan for a later month to try to pitch you to on a gotcha game, but it is literally just like you uh there is almost no game. It is basically just a visual novel
1: and you held off held off on our latest round because you're like, no, I'm not in their good graces enough yet.
2: I keep forgetting because I'm not smart.
1: <laughs> okay, that's valid. <laughs> so Six, that. was there
2: uh
0: Six, was there a visual novel you wanted to talk about since you mentioned yes near the beginning?
1: Well, so there is one. I also wanted to mention another like visual novel associated thing, which is that currently in League of Legends, there is an ongoing visual novel event called Spirit Bloom, where uh you talk to uh anime versions of existing characters and they're like oh you're a ghost oh wait you're not a ghost it's okay it's fine.
2: Do you have to play <laughs> League of Legends the video game in order to do that?
1: Uh, yes you do. Well no you can do you can do the first uh, you can you can do the first event but if you want to get future flags as we say in the business you will need to play some League of Legends.
2: Boo despite having a League of Legends affiliated podcast, I have not even looked at that.
1: Yeah, I uh, I have a Dota podcast, and I play more League of Legends than you do, I think. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> That's really the only way you can do a good MOBA podcast, is do
2: not play the MOBA.
1: You know, it's, it's extremely true. Um, but no, the real answer of what I have been playing is I have been playing the Otome game Nightshade, Uh, I've been playing the Switch version. Uh, It is an Atome game where you are playing as the heiress of a ninja clan. You are Kunoichi. And uh, you're really important because, you know, you are like there used to be two ninja clans and then they united through marriage and you are the result of that marriage. And so you're sort of torn between like, hey, I need to stay alive because the fact that I exist keeps these two ninja clans from warring with each other. But also, I want to get in the field and do shit, and also all these hot ninja boys want to date me.
2: I hate when all these hot ninja boys want to date me.
1: Honestly, most of the hot ninja boys kind of suck. I mean, like, they don't, like, suck, it's just, like, they feel very... lame to me? Like, none, of them, are,
2: none of them are lighting you on fire.
1: I think one of them's going to betray me, so I'm interested in him, but... oh <laughs> <Hell> yes! Uh,
2: <laughs> That's my mindset, too
1: otherwise it's like oh here's the one who just like treats me like a baby all the time which I'm not I'm not really into um here's the one that uh like taught me everything that I know and then just always assumes I'm incompetent so kind of also treats me like a baby uh here's one who doesn't really seem like a character but has really good abs and then here's the one who's probably gonna stab me in the back
2: (laughs) yeah see that's that's the one I'm going for also
1: yeah yeah um I mean it just seems like a natural pick to me. Uh
2: discounting uh even if you discount the part where I love drama, uh it doesn't sound like the cast is uh incredibly strong.
1: It's yeah, it's fine. I'm not I'm not blown away for sure. Um the art style is really good and it's really nice to have a main character in an otome game who is like capable like it's not you know one of the things that bothered me back when we covered um hakuoki is that you're supposed to be this this you know fairly capable swords person but it never is relevant because every time anything happens you are helpless whereas in this i mean like there are times when you need help but like one of the first things that happens is like you're going through the woods and like another ninja just throws like 50 shuriken at you and you just knock him down you're like don't waste my time it's like hell yeah great so i like that
0: yeah, that that part sounds pretty solid.
1: Uh, but yeah, overall, um, I don't know. I'll get further into it. Right now, I'm. It didn't. It didn't like super hook me, but it has has some of the best reviews of any otome game that I've seen. So seemingly, it will go somewhere.
2: Uh, which? What is the name of the one who looks like he's going to stab you? Is it Chojuro?
1: Uh, let's look this up. I'm. I'm just looking at a
2: picture of all the boys and trying to figure out which one is the stabbing one. He, Let's see. He's the like kind of magenta one.
1: Oh no, 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 no. It's Kuroyuki. Don't be crazy.
2: Damn, okay.
1: He looks too nice. Is it more of a Komaida thing? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's it's he was undercover since he was 5. Oh. And he just came back and he's just like he's constantly being like, "Haha, just like this is my real motive. Haha, just kidding." And so he's clearly going to fuck you over pretty bad.
2: Love that bitch. Uh, <laughs>
1: terrible tactical decision
2: do not send a five-year-old to be undercover um, that's not how identity formation works <laughs> yeah it's
1: it's it's, it's great it's great because as they're discussing it they're like they're like man he got sent by it when he was five and like clearly this is like framed for the for the audience because everyone's like yeah because he's so good at five he's just our best ninja and you're like okay <laughs> sure <laughs> <sighs>
0: Can you even hold up a sword at that age?
2: Can hold up a knife?
1: Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Eight. Eight, eight. I got fact-checked. Eight. Okay,
2: you can definitely hold up a knife at eight.
1: Yeah. Hell yeah. Well, no. Oh, wait. Did Jen say, can you hold up a knife at five? You're out of your mind. Yes. <laughs> you can hold up a knife at No, no, two. No, no. Jen I said swords. swords. I said a knives. Mm. Okay. Hmm. Which, which is... I think... You could hold up a short sword at five,
2: hmm hold on. I'm gonna go get my nephew be right back. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Do you have a sword? Uh I
2: don't have a nephew
1: <laughs> <laughs> i have I have a nephew and I used to have a sword, but now I don't. Uh, it got rusty from me using it to cut down weeds, oh they got real tall and i was like i mean i've got this sword <laughs> look if you have the sword
2: you should if you have the sword you might as well use it
1: yeah exactly exactly the only other time i used that sword was when i was living me and my sister were, were renting a place together and uh her boyfriend came over at like 11 30 at night unannounced like as a surprise and so i heard the door open in the middle of the night after my sister had gone to bed and so my sister's boyfriend steps into the house and turns the corner and I'm just standing there in the hallway holding a sword <laughs> and I went, "Oh, it's you." And then step back into the room.
2: <laughs> uh, keep him on his toes. I mean, he should he should fucking say he's coming over. You should you should say you're coming over. This is like basic <laughs> etiquette. <laughs>
1: uh
0: Meanwhile, I played uh, the entirety of Necrobarista, which came out a few weeks ago. Also wrote a review of it uh, on our Scanline Media site. And uh, that's a really neat game. I I think I accidentally unsold 6 on it before it even came out by being like, oh, it kind of looks like Death Note, when it's not really anything like Death Note.
1: Um, I don't remember you even saying that.
0: Oh, Death Parade. Death Parade. Um, oh,
1: yes. You did say that. And I was like, that sounds terrible.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's actually nothing like that. It's basically... You pl- you're basically witnessing a story happening in a Melbourne cafe. In-, in this game's world of the afterlife is... Like, when you die, you don't immediately go to the other side. You have around 24 hours of grace period to walk around and as it turns out this one street in Melbourne is where most of these dead souls get deposited and um along this very um nondescript street there happens to be a cafe so the owners of this cafe one of which happens to be a um necromancer and barista hence the name and uh the other one is just a very very old person like 300 years old or so and uh it's basically about the people who work at this cafe helping people move on it's actually kind of a chill game it almost ties into another game we'll be talking about later this podcast but uh yeah it's it's also presented in this really interesting way where everything is fully 3d modeled and it's uh built in this anime style um 3d graphics but uh nothing actually moves around for the most part it's just it cutting from still to still of these characters posed in a certain way and initially that was kind of off-putting just because there's not really any sound that goes along with it other than the backing music but uh over time, it allows them to get a lot more expressive than your typical visual novel with around ten to fifteen sprites for each character so i I feel like it told a really sweet story in around four and a half hours or so and uh it's incredibly funny too so if you if that sounds up your alley there's it- it's mostly kinetic so you don't really make much choices other than. You occasionally unlock side stories if you end up clicking the keywords at the right time, but uh, yeah, four and a half hours really easy to recommend for like twenty bucks.
2: Yeah, cool. Um, when you when you were talking about the way that it was presented, I origi- I thought back to like the Last Zero Escape game. Uh, uh, I don't know if it is anything like that, but I, I'm pretty sure that one had like three D models um but due to budget stuff there wasn't much movement of the 3d models they were mostly cutting between like posed stills like that is it something like that
0: yeah i'd say it's very similar to that uh except without
2: any voice acting fair enough i usually i usually don't care for voice acting in a visual (laughs) novel uh this is, well, it's not quite the problem I, one of the problems I'm having with Uman Echo, but the fact that there's only one text speed in that game uh, really limits, like, the the pace that I like to read at, um, and sometimes mm. visual novels do that with, like,
1: voice acting, too. Sure. Does it have, well, does it have the thing where if you click twice, it'll automatically finish the line, or do yeah, you have to wait? it
2: does, but that is so much clicking.
1: I mean, you know, visual novels, a.k.a. clickers, you just <laughs> <laughs> buckle up.
0: Wait, clickers are a completely different thing.
1: (laughs) Nope. (laughs) Incorrect. No, I'm pretty sure that's a genre. Yeah, no, visual novels and clickers. It's a a genre. (laughs)
2: I'm just thinking cookie visual novel. (laughs) That's
0: just if you give a mouse a cookie.
1: Cookie visual novel. Uh... Nope. Damn. <laughs> you- uh appar- apparently uh one of the one of the results was Nico Brista, so <laughs> go look go fi- go figure. Uh, maybe they serve cookies at the cafe. I,
0: I well, most cafes serve food in addition to drinks, so I imagine they could have a cookie or two.
2: I found an Umaneko screenshot in this Google search. <laughs> <laughs> I also feel like I've been playing visual novels enough that I can look at a contextless screenshot of a visual novel and I can tell if it's straight or not. <laughs> this is not this is not related to Umineko, although Umineko is pretty straight, but not in like a bad way. I don't think. There are moments
0: where it's like, oh, hmm, with some of the character designs, especially in chapter three. But uh, yeah, we'll we'll get to that when we get to that. I imagine. <laughs>
2: Oh yeah, I did get to Ronove, 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 whatever. Uh, Ronove, yeah. That guy's flirting with ba- Battler.
1: <laughs> okay, I found that's the way the cookie crumbles, which is a baking sim visual novel about being a young aspiring uh, pâtissere. Hmm. Cannot say anything about the quality of that game. <laughs> I mean, it's on uh, the TIG source, The yeah, the TIG forums, so it's probably really good. <laughs> that's actually not a dunk. If it's like if it's just this like tiny indie thing, a passion a passion project, I am I am more inclined to to give it credit.
2: But if it's made yeah. by a corporation, then
1: fuck it. Exactly. Speaking of which, that's not really a transition to what we talk about today.
2: You know what video games we can speak to the quality of?
1: Uh, Mass Effect.
2: <laughs> the three ones we
0: played for today's podcast. Thank you, Jan.
1: 1, 2, and 3.
0: <laughs> so, uh, for this month we decided to do something a little different. Um, we found two games that were in the itch bundle for racial justice and equality that came out between May and June. And, um... One that was just free on itch in general,
2: and one, uh, one that I have wanted to play forever. So,
0: yeah, it's it was the sequel to a game that we've talked about on this podcast, even. But yeah, um, that one is Last Day of Spring by NPCKC. It's the sequel to One Night Hot Springs and the second in what seems like a trilogy. Should we introduce the other games, or just go one at a time?
2: I think just to get them all
1: out at the yeah, start. Yeah, at least, at least get them all on paper. And okay, we'll yeah. To go from there.
0: The other two are Wide Ocean Big Jacket, um, which is by a developer called Turnfollow. And uh, the third one is A Mortician's Tale, which is by Laundry Bear Games.
2: Yeah, um... I I I actually I don't know if any any either of you have a preferred order but my play order and also sort of like thought order is like Wide Ocean Big Jacket, Last Day of Spring and Mortician's Tale but I'm not wedded to it. That's the same order I played these games in myself. <laughs> Go figure.
1: I did a different order but I'm fine with that.
2: Okay. Um uh any th- particular any like general thoughts about la- uh wide ocean big jacket
0: so yeah this is basically i'd say around two to three hours long three might be pushing a bit high but uh yeah for been... me it
1: was 40 minutes so i don't wow. know how you i don't know how you took two hours
2: <laughs> really like... spent a long time looking at the glowing skeleton <laughs> <laughs>
0: There are moments where they just, where it wants you to vibe in the scene and occasionally I just vibed in the scene. But, uh, yeah, it's about these, it's about, uh, this girl named Mord who's about 13 years old or so, um, who's bringing her new boyfriend, uh, and longtime friend, uh, Ben along with her to a camping trip, uh, hosted by her aunt and uncle, um, Loann and uh Brad. And it's basically over the course of a day, two days, and it's basically a weekend where they're going out to this camp, this forest slash um beach area and getting into camper hijinks for the weekend. And it's very much one of those short sort of trips that uh there are there is some awkwardness between everyone and there are some good memories along with that as well.
2: Yeah, every every like piece of media that I ever watch, read or play about camping really makes me want to go camping and then also makes me forget that I would definitely hate camping if I were to go camping.
1: <laughs> yeah, I've gone camping and I I like I this is not mostly reflective of my views of the game, but I did resent the game for being like, no, this is not what camping's like. You're like, oh god, there's mosquitoes and ticks everywhere, and a raccoon took our food, and this is all miserable.
0: Yeah, in a former life, I was part of the Scouts, and we definitely went on a few camping trips here and and there, and... Half of them were miserably rained out and the other half were things like oh hey I got a tick or oh hey putting a putting together a tent is a real pain in the ass. Also at some point I found out I was just allergic to trees so camping <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> to trees? Yeah, trees, like various different types of trees. Like when I was 12 or 13 I went to um a, spe- a specific kind of doctor that checks out to see what kind of allergies you had they put a lot of push pins in my back and they were like oh hey you're super allergic to trees you're probably going to be sick for the next few
1: days sorry about that <laughs> Yeah. how are you with like paper
0: <laughs> Paper, paper's fine it's just like all these trees have various types of pollen that they release oh, okay so,
1: so it's a pollen allergy basically okay yeah sure. that's fair
2: Pollen allergy
0: have pollen. A tree allergy.
1: Well It's really inconsiderate that trees just kind of jizz everywhere.
2: (laughs) You know, it's not great. Not my favorite part of nature, I have
1: to say. Wish they didn't do that. You hear that,
2: trees? You're on fucking notice. Wait, is this an explicit podcast?
1: I mean, we, we've, we've covered... Porn I always here, ask so. that. I
2: forget about the sex games. I forget about the literal <laughs> sex games.
1: Two of them. Two of them.
2: Uh, okay. This game, though. Um, my, uh, I had a moment playing this game. Um, a small moment of crisis. Um, because usually when there's a story in which there are younger characters and older characters my first instinct is always to identify with the younger characters, but I finished this game and I was like, Oh, I'm definitely closer to the Brad and Cloanne side of this occasion. Mm. Uh, than the Morden Brad part. Um, and that, that made me feel like an adult in a not great way.
1: <laughs> I mean, I, I connected with Brad because he's just kind of dumb and nice. <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, yeah,
0: I'm, I appreciated uhloanne kind of going off to do her own thing while also like grappling with the idea that's like oh shit these these kids are reliant on me to explain important questions to them very quickly, and I don't know what to do with this responsibility,
2: and this is why I do not like kids or have kids. <laughs> Yeah, you know when i was when i was growing up i was definitely a ben kind of person and then i came out and became a chloean kind of person and that's my transgender experience <laughs>
0: uh ben is very relatable yeah the way that he is like he just starts asking questions about like oh, hey, I read the statistics about 50% of parents getting divorces. I think mine are, so you're probably safe. And <laughs> the whole thing where he just starts having a panic attack until he gets a flashlight um, That it's like, okay, this thing has days of battery, a GPS. It can call 911 if you needed it to. So he just immediately starts holding it close to him. And it's like, yeah, I can relate to being uh, out there late at night and especially camping and being like, okay, I'm going to take this light source and I'm going to hold it as close to me as possible.
2: What's the thing that Ben says? Um, I think one of like the most charming things about Ben is that he he's like understandably very awkward on this camping trip. He doesn't quite know how to relate to people. So he just sort of tries like five different tactics that don't really work. Does anyone remember what the circumstances... Because there's definitely a part where he compares Brad and Cloanne to serial killers. Oh, it's because of the uh, the skeleton they have in the yeah.
0: trunk. Yeah, they have... Uh, um, Brad and Cloanne have glow bones, which is just a Halloween glow-in-the-dark skeleton that they bring everywhere with them. Because if they don't have it there, then it's easy for them to miss where their camp is at night.
2: Um, I... Uh, and then I think upon, like, learning about it, uh, Ben says something like, oh, that makes sense why you'd have that. I thought you guys were serial killers, but not in a bad way. And everyone just kind of, like, <laughs> sits there and they're like, okay, Ben. <laughs> um, I also, myself, I missed, if they explained glow bones. I kind of, before that part, I kind of missed it. And there was a point where it was in the background in one of those mm-hmm. scenes where you sort of... Um, pan the camera around to different characters and like get their conversations and I was like panning between two people and I was like is that a skeleton hold on and I tried to pan and it just missed the skeleton tried again I missed the skeleton <laughs> and I was just like d- going back and forth and getting like a like a composite image of this and I was like that's definitely a skeleton
1: <laughs> yeah I noticed it uh, shortly before the explanation when uh, you take control of Cloanne at night And there's just this glowing skeleton sitting over there. And I walked over to it being like, okay, is there going to be an interaction where she's like, huh, what's this? And I'm like, no, there isn't. Okay. (laughs) Great. And it's like, okay, because to her, it's not weird. That's fine. That makes sense. But there is that moment of just like, just you and me, skeleton.
0: (laughs) Yeah, for me, the the expression was goofy enough that I was like, okay, this is clearly a prop someone brought along. And... Well, I initially thought that Mord brought along because Mord is just all into doing goofy shit.
2: Yeah, Mord is definitely, like, the kind of girl who would own a, a giant glowing skeleton. hmm mm-hmm. um, I think, like, a, a strength of this game, I think the characters are, like, they're just very evocative. Um, to me, they feel like, they all feel like they fit a real type of person very well. Um so I feel like yeah, I've known some Mords, as as discussed, I've been I've been Ben, I know some Brads, I feel like Chloe and now, like they to me at least, they felt very like very like natural in the scenarios of the game. hmm Totally. It it was
0: interesting to like the way that Brad finds himself very easily falling into the role of supervisor slash um, parental figure for them <laughs> or he just really wants to... It, it kind of ignites this interest in him once again to maybe think about having kids and th- the conversation that he has with Chloe Ann about it is raw in an interesting way in that she makes it clear that they've discussed this like dozens of times and at some point they agreed to stop talking about it but it, it's this interesting sort of fracture where it's like y- you do start to wonder whether they'll be able to figure out a way to both i uh, need to chase each other's sort of desires without hurting the other one but they do they do seem to at least for now have a way around it like a middle ground in terms of okay what if we just bring the kids um in the future to some other camping
2: trips that'd probably be fine yeah i think it definitely gestures towards like one of those situations in relationships where there is like the the question of whether they want to have kids is an issue that isn't solved really like they've sort of put it aside and so it does sort of like crop up when they have these kids on the trip and brad is like okay i'm gonna be the fun dad i'm gonna be like a dad figure i'm gonna make stupid jokes and uh be be like funny and goofy and cloanne's like oh my god i did not i did not come prepared to talk to a 13 year old about sex
1: Mm -hmm.
2: yeah like and and
0: it seems like brad gets most of the easier questions anyway like He does have awkward conversations with Ben as they're hefting wood to the campsite. But uh, overall, he's just getting drunk and showing them things like, oh, hey, if you rub this alcohol bottle for an hour and then drop a match in it, it'll do this cool fire effect. Meanwhile, Chloe is just like, okay, anything I tell this kid, her mom's going to hear about it and I'll likely be in deep shit. So... I'll approach this as responsibly as I can while also doing it in a way that doesn't feel fake to this kid.
2: Uh, I've been in situations like that. I know that terror of like, Oh my God. I think, I think she literally says like, Oh God, I could ruin this kid's entire life if I say something wrong, which is definitely an anxiety I have. Uh, for sure. Kids are impressionable. They will believe a lot of stuff. Um, And I also don't know a lot of stuff like um, I think in that scene like a sort of relatable thing that it invokes is that experience of like being a kid with like a lot of adults around them, but not necessarily anyone you can ask about the things that like you want to know about, you know, like uh, Mord is asking about like, you know, everyone tells me like about everyone tells me about the act of sex, but nobody tells me like what it means like I'm 13, like, should I be, like, thinking about sex as something I want to have? Like, how do you know when, like, you want to have sex with someone? And it's these, like, questions that she hasn't had answered because, you know, she just, like, had, like, one sex education class at school where they were like, don't get pregnant.
0: Yeah, and it's something that Cloann doesn't feel... Per- it's something that Chloe doesn't feel particularly equipped to answer herself either because she mentions that her first time was around 15 and that's kind of a unusual age for something like that so it's this situation of it's like do i answer honestly about how things started for me or how do i move through this conversation this
2: minefield as cleanly as possible like that's definitely a thing in my experience with kids is like you don't you know there are answers that you don't feel good giving but they reflect like the reality of life as you've experienced it um and then you sort of wonder like what is the what is the right thing to say what is like the most helpful thing to say what is the best thing to say i think that scene was like particularly good at evoking that
0: for sure did anyone have any feelings about the whole side story they added like uh this is something that didn't exist in my initial playthrough uh a few months ago but uh they added a small 10 minute uh mini campaign with um the park ranger and the um person who sells the wood
2: oh i didn't know i didn't know about that at all so i have i have no thoughts about it
1: it's nice um it's just kind of like this this chill thing about these two older people who are who have who are friends and have this like they have this professional relationship but they're like they're you know park basically they're serving together as park rangers cuz it's like the park ranger and the wood guy and they're together all the time because they just run this park um and it's like before they took up these posts they didn't know each other and they're just sort of like friendly but like there are so there's like layers of intimacy like asking about each other's family in really familiar ways but also like stepping on each other's toes. Like there's a moment where she, um, where the, the park ranger finds a note from uh, a previous guest being like, Oh, the, the wood guy was really so charming. Thank you so much. And she starts poking fun at him for the use of the word charming. And then later she's like, Hey, I mean like you're charming. I wasn't trying to be a dick. I'm sorry. <laughs> and it's just kind of this, there's this like very low level awkwardness that makes it feel even more like familiar and friendly that mm-hmm. I think is really nice.
2: Mm-hmm. I've certainly had, like, being, like, co-workers, and, like, especially in certain, like, work environments, it's like a weird relationship.
1: Mm-hmm. hmm Totally. But yeah, I think that's White Ocean Big Jacket.
0: Yeah, I don't really have much else to say about it other than it was a pleasant time, and the art style was simplistic in a striking way like it's it uses cartoonish uh, models for all the characters and almost stop-motion animation for them in an, a charming way and i appreciate how like even when you're looking outside into the area beyond it's this really pleasant uh low detail gradient that's going on
1: yeah when i played it um I I've, I had a, a while where I was like, man, this controls terribly. What is going on? And then I realized I had a p- controller plugged in on the ground with the sticks like constantly being mashed by the ground, and I was trying to <laughs> counter that by controlling on the keyboard, which made it control very strangely. It actually controls just fine. <laughs> uh, great. I was like, why would you do this? mm
2: <laughs> it's you know it's sort of uh, approximating the the nervous energy of youth by having Mord constantly go in like 12 different directions
1: uh apparently if you tell it to if you if you hold like one direction and then the other so basically if you hold in one direction on the stick and then hold another on the keyboard the keyboard will win but the animation will be at like alternating those animations every frame it's very disorienting <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, excellent. So I guess next we'll go into Last Day of Spring. Um, as mentioned before, it's the sequel to One Night Hot Springs. And it, it doesn't really say exactly how long it's been since the last one. But I, I think that if I looked at One Night Hot Springs again, I could figure out the approximate date. Um, this one takes place... Like at the beginning of the, the dawn of a new era that's about to happen, like the Rewa. And it also happens to be Haru's birthday. So you, you basically play as Erika as she tries to find an ideal way to celebrate Haru's birthday. Since Haru, being a transgender woman in Japan, has been going through a lot lately after starting a new job and having to fill out forms with her dead name. And it kind of gets into how, well, both how awkward and difficult it can be to like plan anything for friends, but how also difficult it can be to work within a system that, uh, broadly discriminates against transgender people.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. What I think is like interesting about this game in general is, um, as a sequel, like the way that the first game was it was basically I think every choice was basically like um is Haru going to sort of like assert herself and her identity in the world around her or is she going to like um demure basically and either like not take a risk, not correct someone, etc. And um I thought sort of interesting stylistically that then in this sequel game um, from somebody else's perspective, you sort of see Erica like um experiencing that conflict that Haru has from the outside and like how that affects her as somebody who cares about Haru and is trying to like um, you know, do nice things for her and like do right by her um, and how she is sort of like a lot of the choices are like Erica trying to like guess what how Haru would react to certain things if she like told her or asked her about it um, I think it's interesting to sort of like flop that perspective in in the sequel to a previous game
0: yeah and it does a it does a good job of illustrating how Erica is both learning a lot about um, how difficult it is to be Haru and is also it, even with this small glimpse into it isn't totally getting the Bigger picture about it because her reaction to basically the various spa places she calls to being like, "I'm sorry, we cannot uh, do anything about someone. I we cannot help anyone with uh, their legal gender set to male." It's it's something where she's getting increasingly frustrated and angry at the system, and but she's only experiencing a short burst of that, so when she finally figures out a way to get haru to come to a spa that she set up in her own home it's a situation where she she point blank asks haru how do you put up with this shit this is ridiculous and Haru's like well when it gets to when it when it's your everyday existence at some point you pick your battles mostly And for someone like Haru especially, and this is, this was also true for me when I was first, like within my first year or two of being out. It's a situation where you're mostly thinking about how your reality might be inconveniencing others. And that's both eating you up inside and also makes you, like, move remove yourself from social situations you would otherwise like to attend like you're finding excuses to not go and not
2: create conflict Mm -hmm. like a thing that haru is like trying to do throughout the game as they like as um uh erica and um is haru's other friend manami is that her name
0: i believe so yes
1: yeah
2: Uh, As they're, like, trying to plan Haru's birthday, um, a thing that Haru is, like, constantly doing is, you know, being like, oh, well, if this doesn't work out, it's fine, we don't have to do anything for my birthday, um, I'm not feeling particularly well, so I might not be able to make it to anything we do, um, and then on the day of, like, um, when they set up the spa, you know, she, um, basically says that she's feeling ill and she can't come and it later turns out that she you know wasn't feeling ill well she wasn't feeling physically ill but she started to have a a lot of anxiety about you know the the social situation and sort of the trouble it was like causing other people to go through so she opted to like try and you know just not not go in order to spare everyone the trouble um and yeah that was similarly like a relatable feeling for me as well like it's very easy to um start to feel like my gender and my like identity is a burden on other people and to try and like take that out of the equation versus wanting to deal with it's like a it's something that i definitely struggle with Um. Mm -hmm.
0: it's also notable that uh Most of the in-game conversations for this entry happen over line, or a fictional approximation of it, and Haru, for the most part, communicates it with um, emoticons, or, well, stickers, basically, from line. And the one that she's using almost all the time is an apology one. Mm -hmm. Like, she is... Her first reaction to anything going wrong or any perceived slight like social mistake is to apologize for it and uh put the blame on
2: herself mm. um i think Eri- like erica also has a line um where she goes like i feel like haru talks more in stickers than she does in words when we text each other um which is also a real thing <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, it's also why i use line <laughs> so that i can send stickers um but yeah um what i like about this series is i or like my i guess my experience with this game in the series is like having you know sort of been on both sides of um like erica and haru's relationship um and sort of being able to feel like both why haru you know does the things that she does and also some of the frustration um and confusion that erica has as she's like trying to navigate that um and also understand haru's feelings um i i just I, you know i thought it was like resonant in that way and good mm-hmm.
0: it also feels very human the way that uh, erica experiences jealousy for um how much haru uh cares for uh Monami. like she, her initial reaction to hearing that Haru shared news of her birthday with, um, Manami, but not her, is, like, feeling dejected and frustrated, like, hey, she's my friend too, I wish I had known this stuff, and there's that conversation near the end where Erica more or less confesses her, um, interest in Haru romantically, and... Has to basically come to terms with uh, the reality that uh, Haru loves Monami, but not Erica, not in that way, anyway. So it's this: you're basically watching people both share their emotions and try and figure out exactly how to man- maintain a friendship after that, or just feeling, just finding a way to respect that. Both of them have these differing feelings and moving forward with that. Mm.
2: Um, uh, this game, I think it's it's a lot funnier than the previous game. Like, I think is a um, very good bit in the beginning where when Erica is like having those feelings of jealousy, she goes like, "Why am I being so needy? This isn't like me at all. Like, I gotta I gotta stop this." And then her phone dings, and she's like, "Oh, maybe Haru texted me. Just flip <laughs> open, check in." <laughs> Um, and then also the joke where, um, she's like, uh, she's bored because everyone on TV is talking about the start of the Reiwa era and, like, specifically the calligraphy of the kanji that they use. And she's like, I don't care about this. Can any, like, is there anyone who's not talking about this stupid kanji and you just see the TV, like, flip, it's the kanji. Flip, it's the kanji. Flip, it's the kanji. Just, like, five of those. Uh, I thought that was, like legitimately uh
1: pretty funny jokes in this game and then she texts haru and haru's like did you hear about the new era (laughs) that was very good
2: (laughs) and then it comes back later because like one of the things that has haru like upset emotionally is um uh like in the popular culture everyone talking about this like new beginning and you know it's the new era you know where We're all like, we all have a fresh start and Haru really feels like um, her birth gender and all of the legal ramifications that go along with that are like weighing her down when she would like a new start. And that's something that she ends up saying to Erica um, that also really resonated with me. was like, everyone's talking about their new start. And I wish that I wish that I had that, but I don't have that. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. And like that previous game, it's it's a very pretty sort of style that they went with with the visuals. Like, uh, for something that gets into some pretty tough subjects, uh, it's it has this nice, almost storybook look to it. With um, very cutesy sort of character models and stuff like that.
2: Mm-hmm. Very pastel look to it. Mm-hmm. Oh, I like all the characters kind of look like... Um... My touchstone is, like, they look like notebook doodles to me. Hmm. Like, they look like something you draw on the margins of something. It's a very nice style. Totally.
1: I think, ultimately, One Night Hot Spring connected with me a lot more. But, um, you know, this is still a fine game.
2: Um, What about, um, just, like, wondering, what about uh, the first one was, like, more resonant to you than this one?
1: I thought I mean I guess I could connect more a lot more with um trying to make choices from Haru's perspective where I felt like a lot like I understand like intellectually, but a lot of the time Erica just seemed kind of like clueless in ways where like when I was given a choice, I already knew like oh well I know how this is gonna go, right? Like mm-hmm. it just seemed kind of like going through the motions to a degree where they felt like real choice- they felt like real choices with with Haru in the first one where i I felt that balance of like you know trying to avoid like pain and discomfort versus trying to you know make everything go along smoothly and assert what you want. Those felt like really very real choices from from a lot of instances I've had in my life um but yeah, with Erica, it's just like honey, you should know better by now,
2: <laughs> yeah, I can see that part of Erica's character is that she's like. She's sort of, like, emotionally clumsy. Mm -hmm. Um, And I can see that, like, you know, grading or being, like, difficult to vibe with if, you know, especially if you really connect with Haru and you're just like, oh, my God, lady, please get with the program. Mm
0: -hmm. And in the first game, Erica was the character that was asking a lot of insensitive questions because she didn't really know any better. But as Haru gets into in the second game, her her questions still kind of hurt her a little.
1: Mm-hmm. yeah
0: so yeah um any th- final thoughts on um last day of spring before we move on to
2: our final game uh i remembered one more joke that i like which is the joke when they're setting up the home spa about how monami's like rich parents have a ton of art hanging around that they can just borrow for the spa and the part where erica's like oh my god are these worth money um can I don't want to touch these. And Manami's like, Oh, it's fine. My mom's got like 50 of them. I think.
1: <laughs> yeah. And it made me, yeah. it made me think some with, with stuff with like Haru starting her job. Like I'm in a position right now where um, I have the resources to, to change my name legally, but I'm listed for a kidney transplant. And if I did a name change well on that list with, like, people pending in the process and stuff, it would fuck everything up. Mm -hmm. So I'm still going through getting, you know, like, it's my fault, but, like, getting dead named everywhere because of of the, you know, the paperwork involved. And I I connect with that being a bummer.
2: Yeah. Mm -hmm. the like, um... You know, the, I have a similar, well, you know, I have a, a kind of thing like that with my school where being in the school system under my legal name, um, uh, you know, it's not as serious as a kidney transplant, obviously, but it is like a way in which I'm like legally tied down to that sure. name for a while. Sure. You know, real consequences and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. For sure. Anyway, you want, you all want to talk about death? oh <laughs> uh, memento mori am i right
1: that's the that's the uh i'm gonna have <laughs> to is. i'm gonna have to censor that <laughs> oh
2: yeah. yeah
0: oh we have some people part of our podcast network who would not appreciate hearing that
2: that's right for the for the last game of this episode we played persona 3 portable <laughs> <laughs>
0: But yeah, we we played uh, a Mortician's Tale, um, which initially came out uh, three years ago, October twenty seventeen, and uh, I'd say it's about the same length as um, as White Ocean Big Jacket, maybe slightly longer, but uh, it, depending on how long you play that Minesweeper clone in
1: there. But uh, <laughs> wait, there's a Minesweeper yeah, clone.
0: Yeah, on one of the days uh you're checking your email and your friend's like, Hey, have you been playing this um ghost theme minesweeper game? And if you click the other tab you can play Minesweeper.
1: I, I yeah, I didn't click I didn't notice there was another tab. I, I, I read that email and I was like, uh probably this character has been anyway. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay.
0: Yeah. They they
2: deliver some of the extra plot stuff through the second tab, but yeah.
1: Mm. Yeah, um, I noticed that
2: later. Um uh, when the main character was, like, looking up the company that now owns the funeral home. And I, like, noticed, oh, there's another tab on the company. And then immediately I was like, oh, no, have there been other tabs this entire time? I had no <laughs> idea
1: there were other tabs.
0: <laughs> there have, but they they are, but they don't really matter so much until around the time when the acquisition starts.
1: So you're saying, don't worry, Six, you didn't fuck up until you did. <laughs> Great.
2: <laughs> I, I actually think that the the tabs don't... They don't establish, I think they, mostly they just sort of reinforce what is already being said. Like, um, when she looks up the company, um, I think the only real important thing is seeing, like, the different prices of their packages and being like, Jesus, you're really fleecing these poor people Mm -hmm. um, for burial rites, stuff like that.
0: For me, the one part where it mattered was uh, when you're receiving the email from your friend that's like, so you're really going to do it, huh? I I hope it goes well for you, and you're doing the right thing. And the other tab is her looking up information on how to start a business. No, I missed that one, too. On a work I,
1: computer. That's a bad idea. Yeah, bad idea.
0: <laughs> well, they do a lot of things in that game that's a bad idea on a work computer. True, true. <laughs> but yeah, true.
1: <laughs> but
0: yeah uh, general plot summary is that um, you play this... Uh, This mortician, basically, fresh out of uh, funerary school. Um, I think her name... Charlotte, uh, a.k.a.
1: AKA Charlie.
0: Yeah, Charlie, yeah.
1: Did I say say Charlotte? Jesus. (laughs) Charlotte. (laughs) New Gundam name. (laughs) Charlotte. (laughs) Uh, She's going to grant these people her so-called wisdom.
2: But
0: yeah, uh, basically, the the loop of this game is you come into work each day as charlie you check your email to both see emails from your friends and your coworkers and also to accept the latest job and from there you get taken over to what you basically walk over to various parts of this preparation room and it almost plays somewhat like a one of those princess maker flash games Except instead of um, putting on makeup and stuff like that, you're cleaning the body, um, inserting embalming, embalming fluids, propping the eyelids open, that kind of thing. And once you're done with all that, you go to the next room, take a look at the room where they're displaying the body or the casket, and then you leave and the next day starts.
2: Yeah, the... Um... I would say my like, uh, my overall feeling on this game was it made me think about of like a lot of stuff related to death that I just never knew or had thought about previously. I think it's really easy to not like think about a lot of the stuff that goes along with with death and. Um, I think this game seems very deliberate to foreground a lot of, you know, a lot of things you wouldn't normally think about, like uh, the environmental impact of burials, the costs of burials, um, like, funi- like what it's like to be working in an industry, like the death industry, where you are encountering death on a daily basis. Um, it seems to be really deliberate about like, putting that in front of you to think about.
1: Also, really reinforced yeah. how gross embalming fluid is.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. You you put a little hole in someone, and you spend your time like massaging the fluids around into this person's body, and then um,
2: close things up.
1: Replacing their fl- replacing their blood with preservatives.
2: Yeah, uh, I'm getting cremated. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know uh, about you. I, I always kind of was like, yeah, I'll probably get cremated after this game. I'm definitely getting cremated.
0: <laughs> uh, the part where they get into green burials and your friend's like, oh, yeah, it'd be just like that's that one episode of Hannibal. That'd be dope.
2: That episode of Hannibal is so gross. It's, I was like, ugh, and then she's like, don't tell anybody I said that. It's like, yeah.
1: And now you're on a podcast saying it. Wow, narc.
2: It's okay, she's not real.
1: What? (laughs) Wait, what?
2: Whatever her name is, she's not a real person.
1: Hang on, I have to rethink some things.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, uh, you you start out basically working with this uh, mom and pop company that does its best to do fair rates and uh, accommodate the people they're working, I mean, they're serving as best as they can. Um, at some point, the profits fall through and the owner just has, doesn't have her heart in it anymore. So she sells it to a larger conglomerate. And things very quickly start going downhill in that regard because your new boss is such a fucking asshole. And he's like, try to upsell our these people on a more expensive package because it'd be more comfortable for the dead people and Mm -hmm. oh by the way you're not allowed to bring food in here anymore like inserting stadium food rules into a funeral parlor like what the fuck
2: yeah there's um there's one point where you get to see an email between like the new boss and like one of the customers of the funerary home and just the way that he like the way that he pitches like all of his business practice as, like, respectful to the dead is really grody. Like, um, one of the things that, um, uh, the game brings up is the practice of, like, which is legal in some states of, like, you know, keeping the body of a deceased person at home until, uh, they can be buried. Um, and one of the things the new boss guy does is he, like, convinces, um, he convinces a family not to um you know not to do a home burial um and instead to like buy the they call it they literally call it like the gold package um at the at the funerary home and he pitches it as like this is the you know spending money on this is like the ultimate form of respect for your wife and her life um and that was just really nasty to read
0: yeah and he forwards it to you to be like you see that right there that's how we do things that's called upselling and if i catch you trying to like i i scoop this up from you because you weren't doing it right and if you don't do it this way next time well we're gonna have a talk
2: yeah it's it's um it's a weirdly academic game for me it reminded me a lot of the like like different subjects that i researched um when i was in college um like for sociology stuff um is there's a book that we read once about the um like the establishment of the life insurance industry in america um which was pitched in a very similar way of like linking spending a lot of money around the concept of death to like respect for the deceased because that was how um the the life insurance industry ended up successfully pitching life insurance um was to working fathers was like it's it's a way to you know take care of your family after death so actually you should spend all this money with us because it would be like a negligence of your duty to your family if you were to die without life insurance um Mm -hmm. and that really reminded me of you know the way that the new boss tries to sell his like funeral packages
1: yeah, it's really clear that the the game was made by some some death-positive people who are really disgusted by the way capitalism interacts with that.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, the creators were inspired um, by this specific uh, YouTuber-slash-author um, called uh, Caitlin Doughty. Um, she's written several books on the subject. She does YouTube vlogs on them, and... Uh, also has a basically founded a organization called uh, the Order of the Good Death, which um,
2: pitches very um, death positive values. Hell of a name. <laughs> Gotta say, not knowing anything else, hell of a name for something.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. But yeah. The, the way that things
0: ultimately end up for Charlie is that um, after a particularly bad situation, I think the one that we mentioned where. The home burial gets turned into a open casket situation where everyone there... Like, whenever you're going into the actual place where everyone's congregating for the funeral, you can basically go up to them and listen to what they have to say. And for that one, everyone's like, Man, this sucks. This wasn't what she wanted. Or, well, I don't think we did the right thing here, but hopefully she liked it. (laughs) And... Immediately after that, you basically switch to a smaller office with a laptop. And, uh, you have basically an organization where, that you found where you bury the bodies outside and, um, set them up into this composite situation. Like, uh, I think trees were involved as well. Like, uh... They yeah. were planting tree buds near the bodies.
2: Yeah, it was, um, a burial park. They were doing a, like, a form of green burial, um, which in- encourages, like, the bodies to decay naturally and for, like, nutrients to, like, go into the soil, and so it was, like, a memorial park where they were also growing trees there, because um, I, I think that was something that, um, the friend who works in London was emailing about, um, because she, I mean, there's like a friend character who is always sending like just stuff about death. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah. The I'd- friend works at a at a museum, and uh, it seems like some of the exhibits that she was running also happened to do with death.
2: So I think that they had happen. I think it's mainly like it is a museum that is about like death, because um, it's the only thing she really talks about.
0: Yeah. Except for that one part where her bosses get on her ass about her wearing corsets and she's like, look, this stuff about corsets hurting liver, it's not really true. The People just, people need to stop telling me what to wear and what not to wear.
1: Though she does go, though it did fuck up your bones, which is like, I mean, <laughs> you kind of conceded a little, <laughs> kind of conceded a big one there, honey.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh. I think she does. Yeah. She does have a point about like how annoying it is for people to like condescend to her, but also be like, you know, we're worried about your health. At least be worried about the right thing.
1: Sure. I mean, like, you know, it's, it's, you know, you wear what you want to wear. Um, if, if, you know, if they have like a professional objection, then like actually say it and don't couch it in like we're worried about you. Um, and also probably fuck your professional objection because most of them are bullshit. Um,
2: Yeah, she said that she had, like, the way that she was wearing...
1: She specifically, like,
2: the way that she was wearing the corset was not against any rules in the Mm -hmm. organization or company.
1: Right. Right. So, fuck Mm
2: them.
0: Yeah, overall, I found playing this game, like, when I first encountered it, it kind of... There's something almost meditative about performing these, these same actions over and over again in terms of either... Um, embalming the body or, um, oh, we were talking about it earlier. My brain completely skipped cremation. on the word. Yeah. Cremation. Um, you do both embalming and cremation and there's something about the, it's not going to like make you take any mistakes for any of your steps. It's very much just about, okay, interact with this one, this one mechanic. And then here's the next mechanic. And. It's impossible to mess up and there's something about having death presented in this way, that's almost calming and meditative. And it made me feel a little bit at ease, especially given how, given how we're living through a pandemic right now. And it's kind of impossible for me not to think about death right now, especially given at least one of my family members did get sick with COVID um, fly- when they were flying over to a uh, friend's wedding, and that was a scary time. But it's good to remember that it- it's good to have a p- it's good to have it reframed as this calm eventuality. I feel like.
1: Yeah, and it did it did you know we mentioned at the top, but it made me feel really strongly about like listen closed casket okay cremation good open casket no gross don't do that <laughs>
2: yeah Yeah. The, um um because i i think like one of the uh where am i man i don't know <laughs> the like um it, like the practice of embalming in open casket funerals i think it does like speak i'm gonna put on my sociologist cap i think it does speak to an anxiety about death um to want to like present a um a person who has died as close to when they were living as possible and you know this a cult more of a cultural thing not a universal thing um but i think the the game sort of talks about how that also has an environmental impact and it also has like a corporate you know motivation behind it um, because the process of embalming is like has pr- a price associated with it um, mm-hmm. but they, they also have I think there's a few characters in the game who talk about like um um you know being uh you know um actually you know uh being happy that like certain uh I think at some funerals there are characters who talk about like a cremation uh is like preferable to them I think there's a guy who was like I'm you know I'm glad that like we, we went with a cremation because it would feel really weird to me to, like, have her have, like, you know, my, like, loved one's body here in that kind of state.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And both the, de- both the death newsletter you're getting and one really uncomfortable scene gets into, like, the politics of who gets to decide what gets done with your body when you're gone. Like... There's one in particular that is uh you're dealing with a suicide and the person stipulated in their will, I want to be cremated, but their um, their next of kin basically decided, Oh, we don't care what they thought. We're going to do an open casket here. Well, it was
1: and it was more it wasn't really a will, or that would be binding, it was a suicide note.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that's what the boss says that like you know the you know the it was a, a teenager and he pretty like he he you know he very clearly articulated like his wishes but he did so in a way that like six said was not legally binding and so like the right of um you know deciding what would be done with his body went to his parents who were like purposely disregarding um his wishes um it felt very much like a um it, it felt very much like they were sort of um Coping with his suicide by denying his wishes, Uh, because I think the dad in that one has a reference of like, you know, he wasn't thinking clearly, so we should not be respecting what he wanted to be done with his body, which is a a rough sequence. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, if you, it does give you the option to opt out of it, but if you end up going through it and you prepare the body and all that, like when you go to the next room. It's a pretty discomforting scene. Like, several people... Like, almost everyone is upset by it. And it's clearly a situation where... The right thing to do here would have been to respect his wishes. But because they weren't willing to do that, they... Not only disrespected his memory, but also... Dragged a lot of people into a situation that they... Probably shouldn't have been in. Mm -hmm.
1: It's it's interesting. It's, a, it's one place where I don't know if I line up totally with the game. Like, I agree with the game that, like, if a person says that's what they want done, you should probably do that. But also, like, when you're dead, you're dead. Funerals and the whole process is for the living. And so, like... I don't like. I I do think it was wrong of them to be like, no, we'll f- like the hell with what he said. Let's do this. But I do think it is kind of, uh, kind of cowardly of the game to then go like, okay, so they said exactly what they wanted, and then they didn't like it. It's like, well, no, everybody else liked their funerals that you do. Basically, I think you should have just committed and have it be like, no, they think this turned out great.
2: Hmm. I could see that as like a you know, I've sort of like preferred portrayal. Um, I think they like, uh, they also kind of bring, um, they also sort of use that situation as a way to talk about like, um, issues of death and transgender people as well. Um, and, uh, in a sort of conflation. Um, I mean, I guess I was glad that they didn't like show that kind of stuff, but they sort of conflated it in a way, um, that I wasn't, I wasn't quite sure about. I don't, you know, I'm not sure if those are, like, equivalent situations or if they meant to, like, equivocate between them.
1: I think they just were like, hey, well, we're on the subject of not respecting a person when you bury them, mm-hmm. which, mm-hmm. you know.
0: Yeah, it doesn't entirely line up one-to-one, but I see what they were going for there. Mm-hmm.
2: I think there's also one other burial that talks about, like, um you know who gets to decide what is done with your body um the homeless man Mm -hmm. um that you bury because one thing that i think one of the things that definitely like causes charlie to want to leave the the funeral home after it's sold is the way that the director like the new director like talks about you know the con like he gets a contract with the city um to dispose of like unclaimed bodies from city hospitals um and the way that he talks about that is also nasty. Like, he's like, it's what a great opportunity for our company it is. Um, and then there's, a, I think, what I found is like a very solemn part, you know, where, uh, you know, they have this homeless man and they didn't know his name and nobody, like, claimed his body or was able to identify him. So your boss is like, well, just cremate him because that's the most, you know, nobody is paying for anything else. So we're going to do, like, the cheapest um method possible and then like after you cremate him you go to this room you know the funeral room but obviously nobody is there so it's just like you and this guy's urn and i thought that was also a very somber part of the game Mm -hmm.
0: for sure you're the only one
2: there that that cares enough to pay respect to him Mm -hmm. and i sat on that screen for a while it felt like the you know the right thing to do in that situation was to just like stay there for a while it felt very it felt very strange to like, um, you know, just sort of click on it and for her ha- to have Charlie do like the bow that she does to all of the bodies and then just leave immediately.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, o- overall, I thought it was a really well done. Like it, it got into bits of death that I never really considered until I played this and the music and the the way that it's presented um, had an overall calming effect on me that I appreciated.
2: I actually found it very emotionally stressful, but I appreciate your experience of it. I think that, that's, that's interesting
0: because just... usually I'm, i I'm usually I'm usually thinking about death all the time and it usually terrifies me so I did find it kind of interesting that playing this one had the opposite effect on me.
1: Yeah,
2: I, I think. Uh, sorry, go on,
1: sex. I I have some like some some feelings about like some some funerals that have happened in my lifetime, and it brought some of that to the surface. And I was just kind of like, mm, all right, <laughs> yeah. I found it. A- I I I ultimately I thought it was like overall therapeutic, but there were certainly parts that that sparked some some buried anxiety. I think.
0: Yeah. Sorry, you were saying earlier, Olivia.
1: Oh, just I think
2: the I think maybe the difference there is I actually don't think about death very much. And so my experience of the game was very much like thinking about both the like details of a subject I don't think about a lot and also just like the subject itself. Um, And so, you know, that like made it more emotionally, not like I was like freaked out at the whole time, but I definitely stopped. I played the game through in one sitting, stopped playing it and then was like. Oh, there! Oh, I'm releasing all this tension now. Mm-hmm. Did not realize I was like bunched up on my chair, mm-hmm. um, in you know, in the way that you get sometimes when well, you don't realize it. But it's a bit, mm-hmm. you know, I want to say emotionally activated. That sounds like a robot. Uh
1: no, it sounds like a sleeper agent.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, you unlocked the you unlocked this code that brought all these feelings out of me.
1: Uh, if you really love something and you didn't realize it, are you the Manchurian fan of it?
2: <laughs> when I play Animal Crossing and I learn a new reaction, that's becoming emotionally activated.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Let all the death anxiety out of your system with bad jokes.
2: <laughs> I don't I think I think a lot about how that game is like animals. Like, talking animals teaching you, the human character, how to display emotions. (laughs) Uh,
1: I really don't like that they teach you how to sneeze. (laughs) That one's really upsetting for some reason.
0: Just this idea that, what has your body been doing with that snot before then? Uh.
2: If you think about it, Animal Crossing's kind of fucked up. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Damn.
2: <laughs> What's with that landlord Tanuki? What's that about, man?
1: It's like it's like he says he's looking out for you, but I don't think he is. <laughs>
2: uh, there's a ghost in New. Speaking of death, there's a ghost in New Horizons that doesn't know he's a ghost, and he thinks you're a ghost.
1: But maybe he's right. I I mean, he's definitely a ghost. (laughs) Well, okay, let me me pitch something to you. If you were a ghost, what if you looked normal to yourself and everyone else looked like ghosts?
2: Okay.
1: So what if you live in a ghost town and there's one normal person who you see as a ghost who shows up every now and then?
2: See now you're just getting into Animal Crossing as Purgatory fan theories.
0: <laughs> now you're talking about unavowed.
1: I'm saying because there's that whole. I'm saying in the <laughs> first episode, Pikachu electrocutes Ash and Ash died, right there. And the rest of the series the whole... is just.
2: <laughs> I'm saying the whole thing takes place in the mind of that comatose child from that one American network TV show.
1: Listen, have you ever played Eternal Sonata? i should
2: play eternal sonata it's not that good it's all right i know but i should still play it yeah i have to respect the high concept
1: yeah it's a pretty high concept it's very (laughs) i want more i want more games set in the dying dreams of artists (laughs) That's not Ugh. a spoiler. That's the premise of the game. For anyone at home, that sounds like it's like a twist. No. It is not.
0: <laughs> it's the very premise they're using to sell you the uh-huh. game.
1: Uh-huh.
2: And on Wikipedia, combat in Eternal Sonata takes place in both lit and shaded areas. <laughs> Dang. <laughs> Apparently, this is a mechanic because it affects the skills that you can use. It,
1: um, it's it's like. A lot of the game is about like the problems with getting bread, so Chopin must have been really hungry when he was dying. <laughs> I think I think we're good, gang.
0: <laughs> yeah, this was this was a solid selection of three games. It reminded me now more than ever that people should really be going to itch for various indie games because there's a lot of interesting stuff here and If you happen to have gotten that itch bundle from earlier this year, you already own two of the games here, and the third one is just something you can download for free. So, even though we spoiled the plot for all three of them, you should still play them.
1: If you've got an itch.io, it'll scratch.io it. (sighs) (sighs) Oh, I hate this. I get that reaction a lot.
2: Yeah, I, uh, the way that I think about it is if I spend, you know, if I can spend, uh, three hours, uh, grinding stats in, uh, Tactics Ogre, I can play, I can play some indie games that make me think about death or aging. Hell yeah. Indeed.
0: <laughs> um, so we should probably tackle questions. I, I know we have at least one. Wasn't sure if we had any I others. I think it's just the one. Okay. So, Curier A. Page, who is, uh, who is my partner, and is also a part of uh, various Scanline Media stuff, asked us, Playing three shorter games as opposed to one long game, what do you feel are the advantages of short-form games in terms of narrative? What sort of subjects would you like to see tackled in a short-form game?
2: Uh, well... In terms of games I've recently been pl- I played these three games at the same time that I was playing Umineko, so I've definitely been thinking about the contrast between short and long games. Um,
1: Are you saying you wish you could see the Golden Witch's curse's curse covered in a short-form game?
2: Um, I certainly think Umineko could be a little shorter. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> um i think one of the advantages of like a short game is like you know i think it's similar to a you know a short book or a short movie they can you know they can you know come at at, at a very specific idea you know um uh, come at it in such a way that like in just a little bit of time it evokes a lot for you the audience and then they're just you're they're done and you're thinking about that mm-hmm. like uh mortician's tale took me through like Basically like a memory tour of all of the like, um like a ton of the research that I did in college thinking about like, um you know, like emotional labor and like commodification of, you know, various, you know, various like difficult human emotions um, in a way that I don't know if I would have thought about that if I played like 40 hours of it. Sure. I think sometimes, sometimes when a game is very long, like it just becomes the game to me. Mm hmm.
0: Yeah, let's be real for a moment. Most games are too fucking long. Like, especially ones that are trying to tell a story. Like, most games that have the budget to try for a quote-unquote cinematic story end up overstaying their welcome to the point where I actively resent that they're still going on. Like, finishing something like Red Dead Redemption 2 was like pulling teeth because at some point it's like... Look, you're in, we're in prologue and it spent several hours just fucking end already. So, I always appreciate it when a game like the games we discussed here or Necrobarista or something like that is like, Okay, we're just asking for like 30 minutes to 5 hours of your time and then we're out of here. I feel like that's a much stronger way to tell... That That can be a much stronger way to tell a story in a game.
1: Yeah, I think there's um there's there's two things. One on that point of like the idea of cinematic. A lot of games talk about they want to be cinematic, like they want to be like a film, but they end up actually being like the series Prison Break. Uh where they're just <laughs> like, "God, just stop already. Just stop already. Why are you still going?" Um And then the other thing is something I've thought about a little bit, which is I think um, shorter games can be really good for when you have, like, a specific, like, a specific, like, theme that you want to talk about that, like, can have, that you want a very specific, like, message from. Like, the thing that I think about is one game that I have uh, a lot of resentment for is Dishonored, right? I think Dishonored is super cool, but I was really mad when I got to the end of the game, and the game basically chewed me out for doing what it told me to do. And that that's, that's my feeling, someone can argue with me about that, but if the game wasn't 30 hours long, I don't think I would have felt that way. I had enough time to decide what the game was trying to say, and then be surprised at the end by what it was actually trying to say. If the game was two hours long, I wouldn't have time to assume that it was going for something else and then feel like it had done a a bait-and-switch on me.
2: Are you talking about the way that it kind of moralizes around the chaos system?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I am. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, I... One of my Dishonored hot takes is I don't think there should be non-lethal playthroughs of Dishonored. Right? I think, like... I think that is a story about, like, a bunch... You know, a... Either a... You know, a disaffected Imper- like a betrayed imperial assassin or a betrayed empress who are just going to tear the whole friggin' kingdom to the ground with them, um, because I don't I don't see a version of that story that ends happy. You know,
1: right? But even even with it not ending happy, it's just like the my experience of dishonored one. Was like, I uh, this whole thing went down, and they're like, Here are the people responsible, go kill them. And I was not super bloodthirsty. I killed the people, I like, I killed those people, and occasionally guards got in my way, and I wasn't able to shake them, and I killed them too. And at the end of the game, my co conspirators were like, Wow, Corvo, I can't believe you killed people. And I'm like, What are we doing here?
0: <laughs> yeah, and the non lethal methods are like, Well, I'll use two for an example, because initially. Like, the first non-lethal thing was like, oh, okay, you're just helping this other person who... I- instead of... You're finding another way for them to um, continue living, and that's cool. But the one immediately after that is, oh, you can either kill this person or give them a, lo- a lobotomy. And it's like, that's fucked up. That's that's not a good or evil thing. That's, sever- that's different shades of killing this person. Yeah,
1: there's one in Dishonored 1 where you can either kill them... Or- Or uh, cut their tongue out and send them to work as a slave in the mines. And since their tongue is gone, they'll never be able to explain to anyone that they don't belong there. Mm -hmm. It's like, that's not Um, a good choice, though.
2: I think it also, like, I think it also conflicts with, like, what, you know, the outsider says in that game. They framed, like, high chaos versus low chaos as, like, restraint versus non-restraint. I don't think it, I don't think it uh, epitomizes a particularly high level of restraint to, like, turn someone's life into a living hell. Um, yeah. I think also... I, I'm, I'm also, for Dishonored specifically, I'm pretty sure they weren't going to have non-lethal play until it was, like, accidentally, like, discovered while they were, like... The idea just sort of came up while they were building it, and they thought, well, we're making a big video game, so we may as well put non-lethal play in there. I think uh, a downside to, you know, a full, you know, a sort of a big... Full length game is that you're expected to put more stuff into it in order to create a length, which is not always justified artistically.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: See, every game having like five million different grinding systems now, just to get your numbers up.
0: Yeah, Assassin's Creed really lost its way for me when it started being like, okay, you can't stab people once to kill them anymore, and also here's some purple loot god (laughs) yeah but in terms of genres that i'd like well topics i'd like to see covered within short form like i feel like most i feel like if i even mentioned a genre here there's probably someone who covered it pretty well within short form or a specific topic but uh overall it, it would be kind of neat to have more games about like There are already plenty of games about the uh, about queer characters within short form, like within the short form by indie developers. But I'll keep playing those. So if you keep making them, I'll keep playing them.
1: I want a short form visual novel that like absolutely explodes, takes off. Everyone plays it about light pollution because I want to see the stars. You stupid assholes need to stop hiding the stars.
0: (laughs) Oh. Is isn't that what Flower's about? Like, there's one point where you're. I I, I think I remember a part in Flower where you're knocking out there, all the there, various there, lights. There, there and is you can a see light pollution
1: segment of Flower. Yes. Cool. Uh light pollution fucking sucks. Turn off your goddamn lights.
2: Um. Hmm. Am I making what you, you I feel awkward? See. Are you a light Short person? <laughs> <laughs> I, I just i i love when everything's so fucking bright in the middle of the night all the time
1: <laughs> uh
2: no i uh i i live in new york city i have feelings about light pollution
1: i went on uh i I, won, I have had one vacation where i went to south america i went to el salvador And I remember standing on the beach of a seafood, near a seafood restaurant and looking up and being like, Jesus Christ, there are so many stars. This is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen.
2: Yeah, I think, um, I don't even think I've seen like a, like a particularly non um, light polluted, like a non light polluted sky. But I've seen pictures of it and being like, oh, this is why people used to be a lot more afraid of the nighttime.
1: We're going to, we're going to buy an island, Olivia you and me. Jen, you can come every couple of months.
2: And if anyone it. turns on a light
1: at night, I'll string them up. You know, with like with like twine or whatever. Like I don't want to kill them. That seems mean, but like they'll get tied to the wall for the for the evening. I'll shove their flashlight in their mouth and their cheeks will glow and it'll look spooky.
2: All right. This I is don't. starting to sound like Alan Wake. <laughs> uh, I was going to say glow bones to uh, I, I you. Yeah. Oh, oh, I don't know what subject I'd like to see. <laughs> My brain sort of stopped working. Sorry. <laughs> I'll come up with a good idea and I'll put it on Twitter. How about that? I mean
1: the american criminal justice system have as a topic yeah have one about how fucked that is people could easily get education mm-hmm. on that it's very fucked
0: yeah actually um i'm going to briefly go back to our first segment and say that hey i also played a short form visual novel called if found which is about a Trans woman in 1993 uh, West Ireland, uh, specifically Achill Island, and it's such a fascinating game. It's so well done, and I'd pretty much recommend it to everyone.
2: Um, here's here's the little um, here's a little fact about me. I've been hearing you know general praise for that game this whole time. Have not checked it out, and now, but then this time I was like, oh, Ireland, you say? Yeah, you, you can play it
0: within. <laughs> uh, it has an achievement for playing it within um ireland <laughs> no like with, with it if you like, play it a specific, in gaelic right yeah yeah if you play it in gaelic it gives you an achievement for that <laughs> that's that's how irish it is but yeah um if you have any questions or comments about the games we covered or really anything else we've covered on this podcast, you can send them to podcast at abnormal com. We recommend that you put novel, not new in the subject line somewhere. So M and Jackson can easily share it with us, but, uh, yeah, we're always happy to get any sort of input or any sort of discussion about the games we discuss here, which uh, brings us to what we're going to be covering next. Um, uh, Six, do you want to do the honors?
1: Yes, I do. I'm very excited. Um, So next time, we're going to be playing a narrative game. It's sort of a a visual novel slash adventure game. This is 2010 in Japan, 2011 elsewhere, a Nintendo DS game that has since been released on iOS, Ghost Trick Phantom Detective. Uh, This is a game where you play a uh, ghost detective and you're trying to keep people from getting killed and also solve who you were and how you died. And uh, I have played it before. It rules.
0: Yeah, it's done by at least one of the chief creators behind Phoenix Wright, Ace Attorney. So that sense of humor and at least one of the creator's dogs uh makes a return in this
1: one yeah there uh there is a point at the game where you get a second party member who is the uh pomeranian missile who has super ghost powers uh because this game is good
0: (laughs) but yeah um if you have an ios device you can Find a way to play it. If you don't, uh,
2: there are options. You can buy it on Nintendo
1: DS. Uh, there are, uh, it is available on the uh, eBay for too much money. And perhaps if you peruse the internet, you will find other methods. Who can say?
2: Who could say? If you commune with the spirit realm.
1: <laughs> that's, that's the real, <laughs> that was the real ghost trick. <laughs> 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 uh, also, hey, listen, uh, all of our listeners over at Capcom, just put this out on Switch. It's a good game.
0: Yeah, like it, you already you already ported it to one platform that relied on just a single screen. You can do it for another one.
1: Totally, totally. And you know what? Like games, games sell on 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 Switch. If you put a game out on Switch, it is profitable. Period. Hundred times out of a hundred.
0: This is a bold theory. I feel like that was. I feel like that's less true three years Shh. into the console's lifespan. But
1: <laughs> I'm gonna make a. I'm gonna make a short form visual novel about how whenever you put a game on Switch, it profits. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh The the return of the 2007 era gifts of the of the Nintendo Wii shooting out dollar bills. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, what would be what would be a new version um, of this? Like, just like it has Apple Pay.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay.
2: Um, where can people find you online, Olivia? uh you can find me on twitter at great um which uh is also where i post my other podcast that i do we are the champions which is a podcast about
1: uh uh, trying to understand the lore of league of legends characters finger in the air calling my shot i'm gonna be on it soon-ish
2: yeah i'm gonna try to get that settled hell yeah You, uh, you can
1: find me on Twitter at 6detmar s i x d e t t m a r. Uh you can find all my work at scanlinemedia.com or patreon.com/scanlinemedia except for, you know, this podcast, but you know, you've already found it. Good work. Uh Jen <laughs> I'm at j p u 3 on Twitter.
0: Um most of my stuff is on scanlinemedia.com or patreon.com/scanlinemedia um do various podcasts about anime film tabletop role-playing all sorts of stuff really and uh if you go to either one of those two places or both you can find a ton of stuff and uh with that we're gonna call it for this episode and um We'll see you next time with Ghost Trick Phantom Detective.
1: Quick save, quick load. Indeed. (laughs) Middle mouse to make the text go away so you can just see the background. What's our sign-off phrase? Keep on right-clicking? No, why would you right-click? What? Are you an alien? You right-click to save. Why would you continuously do it? You're bored. you have
0: to see. Say- <laughs> <laughs> Until next time, when we turn another page.
1: Okay, I'll pick that fight off the air.
0: <laughs> okay, <laughs> see ya.